Misread is a book podcast where we review books, discuss topics, and provide social commentary on what's happening today. So welcome to another episode of Misread Podcast. My name is Cassie. And I'm your co-host, Jolene. And today, we're going to talk about... <laughs> it's, we, it's like we're nervous every time we I start know, this. The, per, the first time we record is always like awkward. It's always like an awkward introduction, but we're getting into it. We're, we are getting into it, and I love how patient you guys are with us and our quirks and things of that nature. Uh, today's episode, I'm so excited about it. Mm-hmm. So excited about it. And you guys will be too. Um, so we're going to dive into... It's interesting because I think today's episode goes from being very like lighthearted to you know more serious, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's I think that's okay, and I I kind of love how it's going to transition, and you guys will see how how that unfolds. But first, I just want to start by saying this episode um, takes a bit of a serious turn, and we just want to let people know ahead of time that this could possibly be an episode that could be triggering because we will be tackling. Um, issues regarding mental, mental mental health. So I just want to start off by saying that. So with that being said, uh, our first topic is Robert Munch. <laughs> yes, I know you guys are wondering, like, how did she segue <laughs> into that? It'll all come full circle, patience. Uh, yeah, so we're definitely going to do an episode or a portion of this episode is going to be a tribute to Robert Munch. Mm-hmm. As you guys all know, he's Canada's, or actually parts of North America's... Um, he was born in the United he's States. He's born in the United States. Uh, but I know that he is recognized as one of Canada's top like bestsellers for children's books. And now within the U.S. as well, he's recognized. Yeah. and He's in our Hall of Fame or something. Yeah, he is in our Hall of Fame, yeah. Toronto's Hall of Fame, which I didn't really know we had one. Yes, it's on King Street. Yeah, it is by the is it the Mervish Theater? In front of the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's in he's indicted in our Hall of Fame. And fun fact: Did you know that his work is the most stolen at the Toronto Public Library? I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw I saw that I I I found out about it and I thought it was hilarious. But I can only imagine his books are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I love about Robert Munch is. Although his books are children's books, adults love them too. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually talks about that in interviews and other writings that he's done about himself, about the fact that one of the reasons why he's a bestseller is because adults buy it for adults and kids buy it for adults and adults buy it for kids and everyone kind of buys it for everybody because um, his work is just phenomenal. And although it's it's fun, it also touches on like adult themes as well Absolutely. that adults can... Um, you know, relate to. So we had reached out to Robert Munch Mm -hmm. and he got back to us, which for me, I'm like a, I'm like a fan. So I had a moment guys. And unfortunately Robert Munch isn't doing so well health wise. He suffered from a heart attack and a stroke. So he's in recovery mode. So that's why he's unable to be on the podcast, uh, interviewing with us. But we still wanted to do a tribute to him anyways and talk about not only his works, but his life his confessions and just really shout him out as you know just an influence and an inspiration a a major figure in canadian literacy for sure for sure and in canadian households households for sure i I mean my first memories of reading in in grade three and things like that are all 
Robert Munch books and I think about in kindergarten like sitting in circles and even when I went on his website and I was looking at some of the books I hadn't seen in years and it was just like yeah like almost I was like in tears just going through like oh my god I remember you know it's almost like smelling a perfume Mm -hmm. like this aroma and it brings you back and that's what um his art does yeah his art does for me so growing up I I was born in Montreal so we I didn't really I don't really know of him Mm -hmm. I really know more about his work through you and your love for his for his books and uh the way he affected your childhood um, but I, I got to know him a little bit better and I went on his website and I, he, he did a lot of poetry as well. Yeah. And I was able to even listen to some of his work and he had a very, very special style. Like he was very <laughs> exuberant and I love that. I love that he would tell some of his stories because sometimes you read children's book and obviously when you're reading to a child, you make it fun. Yes. But it was, I felt like it was so special and even magical to hear the author from his perspective yes. telling the story. And he's so, he, he's very exuberant. It's almost like exaggerated. And yeah. you know, that's how you get kids' it's attention. Exactly. That's how they get like, oh, I love this story. Tell it again. <laughs> you know, and I, and I, so when I was hearing him tell the story, I was like, wow, he, he has a gift. He yeah. is very special. So I can totally understand if you grew up on that, how it would impact you yeah. up to today. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, so just a little bio about him. Like you said, he he was actually born in Pennsylvania. Um, and he didn't actually come over to Canada until I believe he was married. Him and his wife were looking for work. Mm-hmm. That's when they had decided um, to, to come up. And it's funny because he talks about how growing up, he wasn't the brightest. He, you know, he kind of flunked first grade, second grade, all oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. And they kind of just moved him ahead because he had a brother that, that he, they didn't <laughs> no want way. his brother to like, you know, his younger brother to surpass him. So they kind of moved him ahead. Yeah. But even through that, he was always writing. Okay. And I think that's, there's something important in that. And um, that a lot of times we see kids and because they don't really fit the conventional. Intelligence. Yeah, that we put them in. We don't notice other talents. Mm-hmm that they often have, you know? Especially creative talent. 100%. 100%. And that's why I feel like a lot of these IQ tests and things like that, they, they're they not really... They don't really inform no. of all the potential a kid 100%. may have. Exactly. So he talks about that, and, and I thought that was really interesting. And he actually went on to study to be a Jesuit priest. Mm-hmm, I read about so, that. So I guess he, he found that in high school he wasn't, you know, wasn't as social, wasn't making a lot of friends, and he just thought, okay, well... Being a priest might be a good idea for me, and mm-hmm. eventually it wasn't. <laughs> and he went ahead and he had a job in an orphanage. Okay. So there, I think, is a part in his life where we start to see his love for children and interacting with, with kids. Um, it's interesting that he does talk about not, you know, having a lot of friends in high school, and he didn't really like anyone. But when he's around kids or when he's working with kids, it's almost like that's where he can feel at home. Mm-hmm. And I think... There's something to be said about that and the fact that kids have this innocence to them. Yeah. So you don't feel judged. You don't yeah. You like, can be your goofy self. Exactly. You can be as open as possible. And they, they love it. to that more. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, he talks about, you know, him and his wife were working at a at a daycare together and they decided to look for work in Canada. And that's what landed them in Guelph. Um, if I remember correctly, I think he's actually still currently in Guelph area. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he was working out of the preschool attached to the University of Guelph in Ontario. And it was there when he would tell stories 
uh, one of the librarians, I guess, would always suggest that he should get it published. Mm-hmm. He didn't really listen. And then over time, he listened. <laughs> and yeah, so a lot of the stories that Robert Munch um, ended up publishing were stories that he was telling years prior. I also read somewhere that some of his work come originally from an oral standpoint. Like he exactly. tells the story and then exactly. by telling it over and over, over again, it becomes, yeah. It refines itself and then he, exactly. and then it becomes the full story. Story, yeah, because Mud Puddle was his first book, but I think he had already been telling that story for like 12 years prior to wow. it even being published. Okay. So he is really just naturally a storyteller. I think people would, you know, you know, you, he creates a book, so you think, oh, he's a he's a writer, et cetera. Of course he's a writer. But he's really, in essence, a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of a difference right. there. Um, so, yeah, Mud Puddle was, I think, the, one of the first books that he published and sold over three 3,000 copies in the first year and did really well. And over time, it just started to snowball his success and him publishing different books. Altogether, he is up to 54 published books. Wow. Um, and he's still putting books out yes. until this day. Yes. One thing I, I do appreciate about Robert Munch is that his books all have a story. They're mm-hmm. all inspired by somebody. Um, he talks a lot about when he's traveling and he meets kids. Mm-hmm. He'll make a, a story based off of that child. Or when he travels, he likes to actually stay with people opposed okay. to staying in hotels. Um, and he gets to know their families and he'll make you know, different books based off of yeah. their their life. So I, I know he mentioned, there's a book called Mariah's Birthday. Mm-hmm. And that actually comes from him staying at a, at a little girl's house named Mariah and her family, you know, organizing her birthday. Wow. So that's where actually that story came from. And if you go on his website, and this is actually, I'll get into it a little bit further, but if you go on his website, every single one of the books that he has, if you click on it, he has a description as to how it came about, wow. who inspired it, who it's made after. Like It's like he just gets inspiration by his everyday-to-day interactions mm-hmm. with, with kids. Um, so I do want to dive into three specific Robert Munch books. So the first bag is the renowned, everybody knows, The Paper Bag Princess. Yeah. That was... That was such a, a good story, Isn't too. it such a good I story? I love the story. So I read that he basically got the ending from his wife telling him, why is it that a prince always has to save the princess? Why doesn't the princess ever save the prince? And that's how he ended up coming up with the ending for the paper bag princess. If you guys don't know, that's the story about um, the little girl and the dragon comes and, you know, kind of blows everything up. And all she's got to wear now is a paper bag. And <laughs> she kind of outsmarts the dragon by yeah. getting him to, like, you know, outwind himself through blowing fire and uh, flying around the world. world Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she's got a bit of a a smart mouth to her. So I was reading something again on his website where he had said that the the princess mentality came from or came from a little girl he he would work with, I guess you can say in the daycare. And she grew up with all boys all brothers in her household, very entitled. So every time she would come into the daycare, she would throw her jacket off on the floor okay, and walk princess. off mm-hmm. as if someone has to hang up her jacket for her. Yeah. So that's where he got the name Elizabeth from for um, the paper bag princess. And I believe he mentions that Elizabeth until this day actually lives in Guelph. She's an adult oh, wow. now, and yeah, oh she's a grown gosh. woman of. A, she has a son of her own, and she's currently in Guelph right now as wow, well. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> so I love that, and and just just little quirks like that yeah. to his stories. Like, there's a lot of meaning. Yeah. Um, my favorite is Mortimer. Uh, really? Yes. 
Because that's the one I, with I all listened the shutters. to that one. I listened to that one on YouTube. It's so like the cling, cling, cling. Yeah. It's so over the top. Like he doesn't hold back and it's like... And I feel like the more he would do it, the more the kids were like, yeah. yay! They love that. And you know what's funny? That's why it's one of my favorites is because my memory mm-hmm. is like I can actually... I actually remember sitting in kindergarten yeah. in circle time and us saying, cling, cling, rattle, bing, bang, gotta make my... And, like, they, they would allow us to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And at five years old, you went mad. So I always remember that, Mortimer, Mortimer, be quiet. Like, the yelling, I think, captivated me. So growing up, I know even me and my cousins until this day, like, we'll make little jokes and we'll yell, like, Mortimer, Mortimer, be no quiet, whenever the kids are yelling. So I just grew up, I think, with yeah. with Mortimer. So that was one of my favorite books. And I know he talks about... um. He, he performed it at a school once where the principal was very strict and straight-laced. And after he was done, they could not get the kids to stop screaming, clang, clang, rattle, bing, bang. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he was like, okay, I'm out of here now because... You deal with it. They're out of control. <laughs> oh, my god! So, I just love that. That memory that I have of Mortimer and the yelling and... Yeah. It's just... It, it does a lot for me, so... Yeah. It's a fun yeah. book and... It's, it's timeless. It's timeless. I like the way you said that. It's timeless. Yeah. And lastly, we can uh, talk about Love You Forever. Yes. Oh, yes. What a beautiful book. Yeah. Until this day, that's one of his bestsellers. Yeah, I think it's the most known yeah. story of his, of what, he, yeah. of what he's written. 18 million copies, I believe. Wow. Mm-hmm. On his website, he wrote a little, um, I guess you can say, tribute mm-hmm. to Love You Forever. Um, and basically it started off as a song okay. that he made. Um, and I'll just read what he, what he wrote. Cause I feel like I can summarize it, but I feel like his words are going to captivate, you know, what it, what it is that he felt. So love you forever started as a song. I love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living my baby, you'll be, I made that up after my wife and I had two babies born dead. The song was my song to my dead babies. For a long time, I had it in my head, and I couldn't even sing it because every time I tried to sing it, I cried. It was very strange having a song in my head that I couldn't sing. For a long time, it was just a song, but one day, while telling stories at a big theater at the University of Guelph, it occurred to me that I might be able to make a story around the song. Out popped Love You You Forever, pretty much the way it is in the book. My regular publisher felt that it was not really a kid's book, and I ended up doing it with another publisher. One day, the publisher called up and said, this is very strange. It's selling very well in retirement communities in Arizona. It's selling in retirement communities where kids are even illegal. This is supposed to be a children's book. What's going on? Grownups are buying it for grownups. In fact, it turned out that parents bought it for grandparents and grandparents bought it for parents and kids buy it for everybody and everybody buys it for kids. As a matter of fact, everybody buys it for everybody. That's why it sells a lot of copies. I think it's my best book. So far, it's sold 15 million copies. So that's a correction on my 18 million earlier. Everybody makes up their own song for this book. I would like to put different versions of the song up on this site, now that this site has sound on it. If you send me your version, either as a tape or an audio file or an MR3 file, I will try and put it up in the Love You page. If lots of people send me their versions, I will not be able to put them all up, but I would like to hear them, even if I can't put them up on the website. The way I sing... It in in the story is just my version. You're supposed to make up your own. 
he really has a gift, you know. Like, you know, earlier you were saying that he's he wasn't doing good at school. Mm. Um, he definitely had more of a creative mind. And that's to- he's a storyteller. And that's in and of itself is a gift. Yes. And you see how that gift impacted generations. Yeah. So while it was it was written for him as a, as a way to cope mm-hmm. with his loss and it served as some sort of therapy at the same time even though it was rated with the intention for children it ended up being in the hands of grown-ups grandparents people of all ages and i find that really really beautiful it's it's gorgeous and i uh, the book love you forever for anyone out there that hasn't read it it's just about a mother talking about growing up her her son and as he's a baby to a toddler to a you know a preteen to a teenager to an adult how much she'll love him forever and then the book ends with him mm-hmm. now singing it to his mother who's elderly and then to his own child yeah. that he has yeah. so it's just it's a very beautiful it's a very beautiful book he's very transparent in this um I guess you can say write up about love you forever mm-hmm. and I find that you see that with him in in general Robert Munch is a very transparent author, mm-hmm. um, very genuine person. Right. And I think that's important, especially when you are known for dealing with children. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have to commend him for coming out with his confession about his mental health yeah. and his addiction problems. Right. So for those of you that don't know, he also, um, on his website, has a note to the parents where he discusses addiction uh, I believe it's alcohol and he's cocaine and yeah cocaine um and he's has manic depression which aka bipolar disorder yeah but I think also I read that the addiction to cope mm-hmm. with the bipolar right. disorder he had he went to use drugs and alcohol right and he and he admits that he's he's made some silly decisions in regards to that and mm-hmm. I when I read that I was just blown away me too me too how genuine yeah and i think that it was really it was it was such a good place for him to open up because i believe that the community that supports and loves robert munch isn't a judgmental community it's a community that wants to support and wants to love him and him being able to show that side of his heart and that side of his life i think it's awesome you know this is a man that loves to go to children's schools and tell stories and put smiles on people's faces. And it makes parents comfortable knowing that, you know what I mean? Like, I know who this person is. And they struggle like everybody else. Exactly. So, Robert Munch, we love you. We hope that you get better soon. Um, I still pray that one day you'll be be up to it and be able to make the podcast. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so everybody out there that's listening... Please send us and write us your favorite Robert Munch books, what memories you have of him. I would love to even, you know, send him some well wishes if you guys want to send him some well wishes. Because right now, like I said, um, his health is, isn't is isn't doing too well. Since but a, he's still putting out work. But he's still putting he's out work. Still yeah, able to do certain things. And right. Still, his mind is still active. Exactly. So... We want to send him some well wishes. We'll, we'll be sending his PR this episode in particular. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just... That would be great if you guys could just send us some feedback on yeah. Robert Munch. Yeah, his legacy lives on for sure, and that's the most important part. And I also about him being transparent. I commend him because that's very hard, and 
you may feel a lot of pressure, especially because you work with kids and so yeah. many parents trust you. Yes. You come in people's home and you fill up people's nights when they tell bed bedtime stories to the children. So they, you, you're one of them. So he knows that too. So it it could have been it could have been even harder for him to to come clean and say something so that's that's so hard. It's so hard to go through. So I commend him for being able to to say it and say, listen, I have a problem. I didn't really know how to deal with it. So it turned into a bigger problem. Yeah. But now I'm seeking treatment. It's yeah. important. Um, it doesn't affect my work. It doesn't affect the 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 love and the message I was trying to put out. Um, but this is the situation and I'm going to get through it. And and I my hat's off to him. Yeah. That's very brave yep. and very strong. And that's why I believe he will be okay. I agree with you. He will get through it. I agree with you. Don't you find it interesting that a lot of times the people that seem to put a smile on everyone else's faces are the ones that are going through the most and we have no idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They say the same thing for comedians. Yes. A lot of comedians are actually go through a lot of depression. Yeah. Yeah. Always making people laugh and sometimes it's maybe maybe even being able to make people laugh is a cover up. You know? Yeah. Maybe it is a defense mechanism in a way, but people don't think about it exactly. because you're, you're making me feel good. You're exactly. making me laugh. And I feel like I've, every time I'm with you, I have a good time. And yet you're suffering. Look at um, Robin Williams. Yes. Who passed away. That's what I was thinking of. That's, you know, him too. He was in our screens. He wasn't, we weren't yeah. meeting him, but he wasn't. I, I grew up watching his movies. 100%. So it's a huge shock when you hear that, you know, they're suffering. They're suffering in silence. Yes. You know, it's one thing for Robert Munch to come out. And I feel like it's it's good because we can pour out our support right. over podcasts, over radio shows, in person, letters, 100%. emails. So he can feel that love. But what if you were battling all this on your own? You weren't telling your spouse, your family, your friends. Nobody knows. And then one day it just tips over. You know, and a lot of time, unfortunately, that's what it, that's what comes with mental illness is the shame because people are so ashamed yes. of, well, if I say this, then nobody's going to look at me the same way. So I'm not going to say anything and I'm going to suffer in silence. And not only do they suffer in silence, they don't seek treatment No, because they're they're ashamed or they're afraid of seeking treatment or maybe they don't even know how. That's true. Resources. Yeah. yeah so it, the society's perception of a mental illness traps those who suffer from it even more because we're still even though we are more and more having conversation about it i feel like we are still not there we aren't yeah and even with what you're saying it like as i'm listening to you talk it's, it's almost like in a way that comedy especially with people that are going through stuff that are you know suffering in silence that comedy that they you know, put out and have everyone else smiling and laughing. It's almost so selfless. Mm-hmm. It's such a selfless act. Like, I'm not feeling good, but I want everyone around yeah. me to smile and feel like everything is okay. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times um, people put their, what they're going through in their work um, in different ways. So you'll you'll have a lot of artists maybe that are going through stuff and when they write, it's a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. And you see that. And mm-hmm. then you have people that when they write, it's, 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 almost like up plays how they how they really feel so I'm not feeling good so I'm gonna make really happy stuff and you know that kind of thing and um 
because I, I remember when we did the episode and I did spoken word, I was mentioning that I'm not inspired unless I'm going through something mm-hmm. dark. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but for some reason, words don't come to me unless I'm going through something dark. Um, And a lot of times we see that happen and that goes into people's work. As for children's books and children's stories, how often do we see that? How many times have you probably watched an episode of whatever it is? And you're like, this is for kids? Yeah. Are you sure? (laughs) Like, like, I relate to this. Or like, children's books are often written from, like, it's an adult reading, writing it. And I feel like it's that adult reflecting back on their inner child. Yes. And they're writing a a book for that child, for who they were as, Mm. as when they were children. Because when I think about The Little Prince... Yeah, yeah. Even the show The Simpsons. Yeah. The Simpsons were not intended for children. At all. And The Little Prince is one of the most popular children's yeah. book around the world. Yes. And I read it again as an adult last year or two years ago, and I was just like, what? <laughs> this isn't a children's book. Like, wow. it's speaking to me. It's talking about wealth, stress, not being able to handle your relationships properly, not being both not taking the time to enjoy your life and seeing the beauty of what life brings, what love is and building relationships. I'm like this this is adulthood. <laughs> this is it like how yeah. is a child relating to that? But they they're telling it in a way that that makes it very easy for a child to understand and relate yes. and understand the moral value behind yeah. each story. But I think that as we become adults, it's not a bad idea to revisit I agree with you. some of these works. And a lot of times, too, I think that these books that are t- intended for children but touch on a few adult themes, I almost feel as if it's the author's way of almost giving you a blueprint on how you talk about a lot of hard issues with your kids. Um, it's very hard to talk about a lot of things with children because their understanding is just different mm-hmm. and our understanding of the world is just different yeah. and it's a it bridges a gap I kind of feel like between the two um and it allows it to be a softer more coherent conversation with your child mm-hmm. so sometimes I know the movie I believe it's called Inside Out it was a movie that came out about maybe a, I want to say two years ago mm-hmm. and it was about a little girl and uh we the movie is about a little girl and her family moving and how she's handling that. But the main focus of the movie is what's going on inside of her head. Okay. So we see her different emotions as different characters. Oh. And it's really interesting. Like, I watched that movie as an, ad- as an adult because it was just a few years ago. And I remember watching that movie and thinking to myself, like, this literally explains so much. Like, anger you know, was a character and, um, you know, depression was a character and we see where they interact with one another depending on what the little girl was going through in her outside life. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly getting exactly, you know, inside out, this inside perspective, the outside perspective, what's going on in her head and and that kind of a thing. And kids loved it and enjoyed it. And I was like, this is so important for parents to watch. And this is so important for kids to watch. And these are ways that you're able to, to talk to your kids about what they're feeling and what they're what they're going That's through, true. you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually also like you say because sometimes it's so hard to talk about difficult topics with children. Watching a movie like this or reading yes. books, certain books will they make it easier for for you to to tackle certain topics? I agree with that. 
I know a part of um, this episode, we decided to dive into Winnie the Pooh. Right. Um, Which is also a very famous children's book, children's show. Huge. Huge. Um, And yet... (laughs) There's theories about it, guys. (laughs) If you haven't heard already. um, We read an article about Winnie the Pooh. It's called The Pathology in the Hundred Acre Wood, a neurodevelopmental perspective on A.A. Milne. Um, And A.A. Milne is the creator of Winnie the Pooh. So this article basically talks about dissecting the characters in Winnie the Pooh. And they actually believe that instead of, you know, Winnie the Pooh being this innocent world with closer examination, it's actually filled with characters that have neurodevelopmental and psychosocial problems yeah. that are that go untreated. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about the the article? I thought the the, the article was eye-opening. Okay. Because I had never thought about it like that. When you watch the show, I remember specifically Piglet. Yeah. And I do remember her. It's a girl, right? Um, okay, I'm assuming. Well, I, think I mean, it's a I know she. Boy. Is oh, it a boy? Is it? Okay. Can you guys let us know if, Pig, <laughs> if Piglet is genderless or has maybe a gender? I'm not maybe, sure. Maybe Piglet is genderless. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I remember that character in my mind. I was like, she, he always seems so nervous. They always yeah. seem to be like running around and being stressed about something or some type there's like a, a cloud hovering over her head and I'm I was always like I felt it and I remember it's it's one of the memory that I have of that character. Yeah. So when I read in the article that she probably suffers from general anxiety disorder, I was like, makes sense. Yeah. But as a child or even as an adult, I wouldn't have thought about I wouldn't have gone there. No. You know, and even with Winnie the Pooh, they said that he had ADHD. Yeah. So (laughs) I love this article because they break down what they think everyone has. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because they do believe that he had ADHD and OCD Mm -hmm. because his obsession with honey and, um, you know, just his repetitive behavior behavior and even the fact that so we see a lot of... um, I guess you can say mental health issues, and then we see what effects they have after. And one of the things it talks about is it's contributing to his uh, uh, significant um, obesity. So that in itself, I guess, when they were kind of going through, you know, digging through how are they going to analyze Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. his weight and okay. all that kind of stuff kind of comes in, which we do we do understand and know a lot of times that people that suffer from body image issues, yeah. um, they come from... A completely different place. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people are like, oh, why didn't this person just lose weight? It's not really about just the physicality of losing weight. It's right. something kind of going on on and the like inside. Yeah. So they actually mentioned that about Winnie the Pooh, which I thought was a interesting observation. I thought it was shocking. Like, <laughs> isn't, isn't that shocking it to think that Winnie the Pooh has ADHD, OCD? <laughs> because what's crazy is that you think you're looking at the show and it's this cute little bear that loves to eat honey. What's, yeah. Isn't that adorable? Like, <laughs> it's just like, just going about his way trying to find some honey. And it's like, we all love honey. So we're just like, this is great. This is cute. Yeah. But when you think about it, you know, him and the people around him. And when now that we've had that conversation about children's book teaching us about life, this article is not far-fetched. No, it's not far-fetched. You know, when you're looking at it through the lens of what lessons 
is Winnie the Pooh teaching really yeah. at the end of the day? And what is what's your perception when you see piglets running piglet running around yeah. like this? Yeah. Now you're like, well, you know, this this could this is a theory, but it could be true. Yeah, it could be true. We don't we don't really know. Like like you said, it's a theory. It was an article, and there's tons of critics that have their their own opinions on it as well. Mm-hmm. Unless the author, the creator of Winnie the Pooh, spoke on it. Yeah, which I don't know if he did. No, but so. We just have this mm-hmm. article to go through, which I do find definitely entertaining. Yeah. And upon reading here, yeah, Piglet, um, they generalize him as having anxiety disorder, yeah. which would make sense because even your description of his, you know, mm-hmm. over the top, like constantly, like very anxious and yeah. stuttering kind of a personality. Um, so Eeyore, that's the sad, the sad donkey. Yes. So they said that he suffers from depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can't pinpoint whether or not it's something that's inherited or if it's from our early trauma. Okay. So right. Eeyore, the donkey we all know with the you know, the missing tail and all yeah. that kind of stuff, he's they believe he's he's depressed. And um, they say, they say because he was very often negative. Very he's a very, very yeah. negative I don't remember character. him as much, but they say that he, he always has yeah. something negative to say. <laughs> And then they went on to talk about the owl. Yeah. And they believe that the owl is dyslexic, Mm -hmm. which I found was interesting because I do remember the owl being, because in general, owls are signified as being wise. Right. But this owl, he was like wise, but then sometimes his wisdom was a little bit questionable. And he was always misreading a lot of the notes Mm. and things like that. Like he never got it right. Right. Now, A thought that I had was, could it possibly be that maybe he was misreading things because Christopher Robbins was a young child? So maybe his notes or the way that Christopher Robbins would be writing these things would probably be a little bit more confusing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit to dig there, but I did find it interesting that they thought the owl was dyslexic because of his questionable wisdom and his ability to misread a lot of the notes. Yeah. Um, And there was another character I can't... How do you... Tiger? Tigger? Oh, Tigger. Tigger? Yeah, Tigger. Tigger is, everybody knows, just crazy. Tigger is one of those characters that's just constantly bouncing off the walls, going crazy. And they believed in this article that Tigger has ADHD and hyperactive impulsive, um, he's a, a hyperactive impulsive subtype. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about him is that outside of that, you know, overly, I guess you can say, hyperactive personality. He is also very into risk-taking behavior. Yeah, and you do see that a lot. And I do remember remember that a lot in um in the shows growing up as a child. And even his impulse to sample like unknown substances. So mm-hmm. you definitely see, you know, yeah. Tigger kind of like trying different things, whether it's honey or it's this or it's from this tree. Like his his idea of consequences isn't really there. Yeah. He just kind of does things. Um, What I thought was interesting in this article was that Tigger is very close with Rue, right? Right. So Kanga and Rue are a mother-son duo. Mm -hmm. So the mother's Kanga. We'll talk about her in a bit. And Rue is her her baby Joey, her baby. um, 
and he's he's I think the youngest of of them of them all the characters so you know he's a little bit he's a little kid and he runs around and he kind of wants to you know be with all them but he's very close to Tigger in particular Mm -hmm. and this article went as far as to say not necessarily that they identify Rue with having his own mental um, issues, right. but more the behavior of him coming from a single-parent household and then now being so close to Tigger, who we see has risk-taking behavior, impulse issues. You know, what kind of future does Rue have? Okay. So I thought that was a little bit presumptuous of the article to jump into you know yeah rue comes from a single parent household and he's around this guy that so like he must be a juvenile delinquent and i think they even made a a joke in here kind of saying we'll see rue in the forest with like cigarette butts like in his teenage years and it's like i don't know i kind of was like i feel like that was a little shot at single moms yeah, that's a little bit judgmental. <laughs> yeah, that's what and I a little bit cynical. That's what I <laughs> like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't even have thought. I, you know, I, got, I think I missed that. I didn't see that part. Yeah, like there's, and like they even made a comment about, um, you know, he'll he'll grow up in an environment where his mother will, he'll have a whole bunch of siblings from different like kangaroos and things like that, like different fathers oh, oh, and stuff they like said that. All that. Yeah, oh. they said all that. I was like. What? 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 Okay, like, that's far-fetched. It was really far-fetched. I think maybe in the interest of the article, in the interest of pinning down like a disorder and right. illness, they had to assume a lot of things. And right. they went as far because based on statistics, often yeah, this is what, what happens. happens. So, Which is, you're so right. That's exactly what they said. Because they're like, maybe we're being too gloomy and we, sh- we can say that she's going to end up, you know, running a a gated community with amazing whatever. And then after they say that, they're like, but the likelihood isn't that because we don't see a lot of female leadership in Winnie the Pooh. So I just found that stretch of baby Rue. Mm -hmm. It was a bit bit much. And um, what's interesting though that that I did find is Tigger seems to offset a lot of people. But with Kanga, Rue's mom, he has a different respect for her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he tends to not be as over the top when he's around her. He's more subdued. He doesn't bounce around around her. Okay. So there's this. Is this by intimidation? Yeah, or? like I'm wondering what that has to come with. And I know that a lot of times single mothers are seen as having to be a little bit more mm-hmm. hard and, you know, stuff like that. And it talks about how she's very protective. She's overly protective. actually protective. Because mm-hmm. she has to be the um, mom and the dad. Because she has to be the mom and the dad. So I thought that was interesting. Um, who else did they talk about in here? Um, Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. So Rabbit is the oldest of them. Mm-hmm. Rabbit is the oldest of them. Um, some people thought that, because he likes the finer things. So he likes, he enjoys his garden and things like that. Yeah, I remember him. Some people thought he was narcissistic, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's narcissistic at all. Mm-hmm. I think that he's just an old Older person. character. Yeah. yeah. So these little guys coming around bouncing around and his like Pooh's always stealing his honey who what old man wouldn't be upset about that so I kind of I find that interesting and then we even see him adopt a baby bird right and grow it up as his daughter and stuff like that so I I think I don't I don't know I the article didn't really say that he um has a mental issue that Mm -hmm. they found yeah um but they just kind of said he was probably more senior yeah yeah he didn't strike me as uh 
someone. Well, he was more like a supportive character as well. But he didn't strike me as somebody that was. No. That had anything wrong with him or that he was particular about something. Right, right. So I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see that. I wouldn't see how they were associated with. Right. For some of them, it's like right off the bat. It's right off the bat, yeah. But with him, for I didn't others, find that. It, it's a little bit more subtle. What did you think about, like, what are your thoughts on Christopher Robbins, the actual boy in the, in the? I guess it's all about him and his stuffed animals. So yeah. him himself. Do you think it's just a little boy with an imagination, or do you think he's like schizophrenic? Because that was some oh. of the stuff. Yeah, some of the stuff I was reading, they believe that Christopher Robbins is. Um, schizophrenics because of his delusions and his hallucinations and things like that but could it just be a little boy with an active imagination yeah isn't he a, isn't he a child he is a child um they do talk about the fact that he has no real parental guidance and he also comes from a single parent home okay. it's just his mom you don't really see any mention even more of his father to have a bigger imagination right right um i know that i was reading some stuff and thought maybe autistic because he tends to go from school straight into you know, being at home and being with his animals and thinking about, you know, this imaginary world that he's in. And I know sometimes social interaction, difficulty, communication challenges, um, engaging in repetitive behavior can be seen as, you know, signs of and symptoms of autism. Because I, I don't know, I what I did find interesting, because at the end of the day, I think with Christopher Robbins, I think he's just a child with an imagination. Yeah. Right? Um, even if you look at the names for the characters, they're all pretty much named what they are. Mm-hmm. Opposed to Donkey, his name is Eeyore, but I, I think that's the sound that kids make when they think of donkeys. Like right. Eeyore, Eeyore, whatever you would make, right? Yeah. Um, and then... Winnie the Pooh has a different name, but we know where the name Winnie the Pooh comes from. It comes from a bear that came from Winnipeg, etc. Um, but he names all of his characters literally after what they, actually, what, what they are. actually are. So, you know, but then what I found strange was he mixes up his stuffed animals with real animals. And I don't think a lot of people make that connection. How old is Christopher? Maybe oh, he's like, like t- I want to say he's 10, 9 to 11 Okay. Maybe even younger. in my mind, I thought he was like five, between five and seven. I could. Okay. Be wrong. Let's. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe I, 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 don't know. I could, we, we could we could check it. I'm not sure, but it, for me, in that in put knowing that and knowing that, like you said, he he comes from a single home, and he it seems like he's more of an isolated child. Yes. So children who are usually more on their own create a bigger okay. world in their heads and because they're alone they t- like they take very seriously the little that they do have around them so perhaps with his very fertile imagination as he was going deeper and deeper in his stories i could see how he may confuse or maybe he had a desire that his imaginative imaginative friends we're real, really here with them. So maybe that's where the lines were blurred. Okay. I like that. I mean, again, that's a theory. I don't know if I would go and say, you know, those are signs of like Skipping. autism. Yeah, yeah. Autism is, um, I wouldn't say very, I've seen, I've seen, I have, fam- I have family members who okay. suffer from it. And there's a disconnect. And from my experience, I haven't seen it related to imagination. From my experience, right. it could somebody uh, the children may be different, and um, so that's why I wouldn't have made that link. Schizophrenic, 
find that harsh (laughs) for such a young child. Obviously, if if he becomes an adult and he's still unable to differentiate fiction from real life, okay, (laughs) now we can talk, you know? But at five, like... I used to, like, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I used to make up a whole bunch of world with my Barbies and like, I used to pretend I was in my room and I was a teacher and I was going to teach all my, all the, 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 the students about today's lesson. I was just redoing what I learned that day and like, I, I had a very fertile imagination. So like, I wouldn't want anyone to get like, just, your child, She's you know, like, that's true. So I wouldn't have gone as far as, as saying that, but. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought I found I think I would I took the article in a little bit more as entertaining. Oh, I yeah. definitely allowed it to run with with my imagination a mm-hmm. bit too. Like I'm kind of like, "Hmm, maybe that's true." You know what I think would be really interesting is if they did a study with children and identified them to all have characteristics that they believe these characters have mm-hmm. and then expose them to Winnie the Pooh and see what characters they gravitate to. Oh. Like, if I'm a child who's being diagnosed with ADHD, do I gravitate towards Winnie the Pooh? Right. If I have anxiety disorder, do you see me gravitate towards Piglet? I would love to that's see... That's smart. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I would love a study like that. That'd be yeah. really interesting. That would but be good. Mental health, in general, I think, it's something that is... We need to talk to children about... Do you feel do you do you feel that the stigma is is um is not as harsh as let's say 10 5 10 years ago or do you do you feel like we're more open to talking about it through social media especially or do you feel like there's still there's still a hold back there's still a lot of barriers around people's perception and tolerance in regards to mental health and it could be mental health is vast. It could it also is. be addiction. Yes, you're it right. It also encompasses addiction. I think that exposure to mental health has been a lot more in the last little while, unfortunately, due to bad circumstances. So we see a lot of children now in schools when they're being bullied, the outcomes of that. Yeah. Um, whether or not they're just victimizing themselves or others around them. And that's, that's happened in the last, I would say, 10 years more than ever before. Absolutely. So unfortunately, in that way, we have been exposed. We've been forced. We've been forced. To talk about it. Right. Because I remember growing up, we didn't really say bully. At all. Or no. intimidation. Like, no. N- no one, you, you could say, it wasn't an issue. It was just right. like, that's life, deal with it. It's cool. Right. It's, it's high school. Yeah. Like, that's, that's how, how kids are. Yeah. But I think a big problem that makes it different from when we were growing up and these kids now is that there's no, there's no unplugging. Like, when we went to school, you went to school for that time period, and then once you left school, you never saw those people until the next time you're at school. Like, you go home and you have your whole set of other friends from, like, your neighborhood or from church or right. whatever activities that you're in, and you've got your family, and you guys go outside and you play. I find that kids now these days, they are not unplugged, like... I'm around these people all the time. Then I go home and I'm on Facebook all day. And then I'm playing with them on online. And I'm... Right. So these... It's this constant, like, constant, constant, constant. So, and I think... And also with social media, like Twitter. Yes. You can still taunt someone 100%. Twitter. Cyberbullying is right. real. Yeah. Like, it happens a lot. And yeah. it's hard for someone to disconnect when 
you know, this is leaking into every aspect of their life. Mm -hmm. So I think kids nowadays are experiencing it on a very different, you know, level than we're experiencing it. Like, we experience it on a level of, like, hey, give me your lunch money, like, when you used to watch, like, Disney shows back in the day, and you're like... That was what... That that was big back in the day. (laughs) My comment was about people stealing your shoes, (laughs) your lunchbox. That's what was happening. Yeah, but this, like... But this generation, yeah, this generation is very different. It's it's very like body image, shaming, and like very mean. And we even see at young ages now um, nudity, where they're having uh, what do you call it, revenge porn, and Mm. you know these thirteen year olds are sending pictures via, and these boys are posting it, and now like it is a different world. And parents need to talk to the. You need to be engaged. I don't. I think if my if I have a young child and they live under my household and they have any type of electronic or anything, I want to like. There's no passwords. There's no mm-hmm. like. I want to know Parental, who are you talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you sending people? Like, mm-hmm. what pictures are you taking? I don't understand why a twelve year old has social media. Why are you on Instagram? Right. I I totally agree with you. I knew a mother whose daughter was like. 15 so she was on social media and she was on her she was she knew every post she checked her twitter on a regular basis like i mean every day like in the morning afternoon and at night right and if something wasn't correct she was like you better delete that i don't don't want you to post these things where is this coming from she was she was on it so i think a lot of parents will say they don't have time Mm -hmm. especially if you have a lot of children yeah um, and what if you have one that's 16, the other one is two? Yeah. It, it's a, it may be a little bit harder to manage, but still, it is important to make that time because, because the outcomes of cyberbullying are devastating. Yeah. Like, like you say, like the people who, you know, there, I, there's been a few stories like in a couple, the past couple of years of a girl, like, I don't know what she did. She was young. She's underage. I don't know if she, I don't know what it is, but it was something sexual about it. Yeah, I remember. And they filmed about. it. Yeah. Posted it on the internet. This, it never dies. You it know? never dies. And I think a lot of children, that's why they, we need to talk more. And, you know, I don't know if now, I haven't read a children's book in like, this year i don't know if the children's book are like taking that approach that those stories into consideration and making and making it more geared towards technology i don't know but i think it would be it's important to talk about to talk about that because oh, i was like i lost my train of thought <laughs> i was gonna say something i lost it i was gonna say something related to that girl <laughs> you said it doesn't die it doesn't die the internet don't die Oh, yeah. I think children don't... Even the ones who do that, who repost, I don't think they realize. They don't know the consequences. They, yeah, they the don't understand of, at all. Yeah. They don't understand at all. And it's and it's our job, um, yeah. you know, as educators, as neighbors, as sisters, as parents, as a community to protect our children from these things and take it seriously when they do come to, when they do come to you. You know... That's I grew up in a household, brilliant. yeah, because I grew up in a household where you couldn't really make fun of me because, like, I'm going to hear what my flaws are at home in a joking way. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's like this with Haitians, but mm-hmm. Jamaicans, whatever your flaw is, is your nickname. So, like, if you have a big nose in Jamaica, Wagwan big nose, Wagwan did it. Like, whatever your fly is, that's that's your nickname. Like, that's how you grew wow. up. So, you didn't really, like, you couldn't go. Like, if I was gaining weight, you know what I mean? 
if I gain weight, and I know a lot of my friends that come from um, South Asian households, Spanish households, Italians, Greek, all that, a lot of those like more cultured backgrounds. It's very normal for you to walk downstairs and your aunt be like, oh my gosh, you're gaining so much weight. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Like, that's, that's a normal thing for yeah. you to hear. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, you know, we're now first generation Canadians that are now having kids. So our sensitivity is different. How we talk to our kids is different. Yeah. So how kids take things is completely different. You have to speak to them differently. So you couldn't, you couldn't, I couldn't go to school and you make fun of my weight. Like, my mom tells me I'm big every day. Yeah. Or you, if someone has a problem, they have a gap tooth. My nickname at home is that I have gap teeth. Like, it didn't have the same effect. Mm-hmm. But these kids nowadays, it's very different. Yeah. So when they are telling you, you know what, this does bother me, you, you have, you have to, to take listen. it seriously. Yes. Exactly. You have to take it seriously because they do, they they come from a completely different time. Yeah. You know, they, they can't handle the same kind they of... They can't handle it. And, um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I think we just have to adjust to 100%. the percent We have to adjust. We actually, we don't have a choice. Yeah, we have to adjust. You're right. We're right. We have to take we have to take their needs and what they want seriously, and and being able to pinpoint when things are happening. I think. And in that realm of what you're saying about how we have to adjust to the times and how parents now need to listen to their children mm-hmm. more, I think it's important because sometimes somebody's going through something. Oftentimes we don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't even know what it is that they're going through so they can't express or tell you exactly why it's bothering them um and as you know i was thinking a lot about kanye west throughout this episode really (laughs) because you know how there's this big thing about he what he's bipolar right and he was taking medication medication for it he was hospitalized for it for a long time and then he came out and he was like i want to normalize it like I want to talk about it so that there are no more, there, there's no more stigma, and it's out in the open. So I was thinking about him a lot as we were talking about different things. Kanye is controversial, <laughs> but nonetheless, he, I mean, he's suffering in a right, way or another, right? right? Um, and I wanted to leave um, with a few tips for people who know people who suffer from a mental issue or may suffer themselves from a mental issue, and like I said, like it's like right now we have to adjust to the time. So sometimes we may not know, but we have to be conscious. Yeah. We have to be conscious of the way we speak, the way we approach certain topics. And at times, even I have been guilty of it, we don't always know how to. No. So you have to inform yourself. You have to seek out that knowledge. And I just want to leave with five little tips, general tips that may bring about a difference, whether it's for you or if it's for someone exactly. or a loved one that you may know. So, the first one is realizing that mental illness deserves the same attention as physical illness. We take medication when we have the flu, when we have yeah. a cold. Like, we take medication when we have a yeast infection and yeah. we think it's perfectly normal. And there's no shame about it because your body's suffering and we should be able to extend that courtesy to our minds yes. and to the minds of others. Yes. Oftentimes, I think people feel like when they're suffering like this, they feel powerless. And I want to say that you're not powerless in this situation. If you understand what triggers you, you can take proactive actions to make yourself feel stronger or better. Example, like saying no, if you're feel, if you're suffering, like you know how when you're growing up, especially in college years, everybody wants you to go out to this party or go out shopping with me or go to this thing or go to that thing. And sometimes you feel guilty yeah. by saying no, it may actually 
increase your anxiety even more because you're like, I have to do this, I have to do that. Like, I have to be part of the crew. Like, you know, I'm going to feel left out. But you have to place yourself first. In these moments, it's okay to be selfish and to put yourself first before the expectations of others. We talked about it before, and I want to say that there's no shame. News tend to sensationalize violent acts by a person with mental mental health, and they're often depicted as dangerous, violent, or unpredictable. And those stereotypes have made, have given people a lot of, uh, have given people a negative perception of what is mental illness. And if you understand, if you inform yourself of how vast and the many layers of complexity. The fourth point is it's tough. So have a conversation with your loved ones about what triggers you. Your family and your friends cannot read your mind. So explain to them how they can, what they can do to help support you. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's, uh, it's necessary. And some will understand, some won't understand, but it's about giving them the proper tools to know right. how to handle you. And sometimes you have to cut people off. So if you if yeah. you let people know, listen, when you do this, it doesn't make me feel good or it triggers me some type of way and they continuously do it, then at some point it's okay to to step back. I agree with you. I think people need to identify their triggers, mm-hmm. identify what triggers you um, and take it seriously. Yeah. And lastly, understand that it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. So you have to take proper care of yourself but you also have to understand that life happens so sometimes you have good days sometimes you have shitty days and that's just life it's not you it's not your head it's not your anxiety that's just normal life so you have to take it one day at a time and one bad day doesn't define who you are who you are so you just have to keep at it and that and know that it's it's gonna get better that's those are five amazing tips um i think that's a great way to to close off this episode i i i will also leave i think uh what we'll do is we'll leave a link in the description when we post this mm-hmm. for um a few mental health resources um national crisis hotlines um information about mental illness whether again it's for you or a loved one or someone you know um and we'll leave that we'll leave that in the description box um so if anyone's out there and you you feel like you need help or you're not sure who to turn to resources um are available available to you and we will make them available to you so thank you guys for listening this episode was important it was important it was a little tough yeah um i'm glad you guys are here with us and write us let us know your thoughts see you next time